If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, You will need a Bible today. If you do not have one, scooch over by somebody who does. You will need to keep up. I will spend very little time in 1 Corinthians 14. You've been warned. It will be in the New Testament. I tried to keep it within a book left or right, but sometimes I'm successful at my plans and sometimes I am not. We are looking at a stretch of text, verses 26 through 40. Um, But what it is, if you watch the Apostle Paul teach... He will always give you theology first, and then he will give you an exhortation. Uh, It's like the the, the letter to the Romans. You have 11 chapters of theology. If you read the conclusion of chapter 11, who has given that God should repay? Who can counsel him? And it goes to this great exaltation of who God is. And then chapter 12, he says... I beseech you, present yourself as a living sacrifice. And then from 12 to the end of the book, he just cranks it off. Because of what I've given you in these 11 chapters, do these things. That's where you're at. Technically, 26 to 40 is so simple and so straightforward, you could just preach it in one message. But you're going to miss something if you do. Okay? And I, I want to pick up on that um, this morning because um, I believe that right now it is the greatest tragedy in the church is what I will teach this day. And I must honestly say that some in this room are guilty. Okay? So I want to read verse 24 and 25, and then I'm going to move out, okay? But I thought we are you'll see, just hang in there, it'll work for you. 24 and 25, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you father help us here help us to understand father only you can teach this text Father, these precious ears this day, my precious ears this day, let us hear, let us draw deep to your glory, to your praise. Amen. I shared with you that Paul teaches with theology and then the exhortation. Basically, the exhortation or what you have listed in your outline, the instruction begins in verse 25. In verse 25, because he starts showing you, he is contrasting. He is contrasting the gift of tongues, and he's contrasting it to the gift of prophecies. And we've already looked at the importance of the gift of tongues in the first 19 verses. And the first 19 verses says it's a secondary gift. All right, why is it a secondary gift? It does not edify. Did you hear me? It is a secondary gift because it does not edify. And then we looked at what was the intent of the gift. Because if you look at the true intent of the gift, it does not have edification process. All right. Its primary purpose was to tell the Jewish people that God's wrath was upon them. That does not really build up. Okay. 
All right. So what you have is the theology framed. And now in verses 26 through the end of chapter 14, you will see the instruction on how to use it. And it's really simple. I mean, it's not a complicated text. All right. But the thing that I am absolutely convinced that is missing in the body of Christ today is the single focus of chapter 14. And actually, if you're truly honest with the text, the the focus begins in chapter 11 and runs all the way through 14. It is when you come together as a church, as a group of called out saints, you should have one thing you're striving for. One thing and only one thing. And that's what I want to share with you because he makes the statement there in 24 and 25 that if you preach, not only do you edify the saints, but you will convict the ain'ts. All right. Now, listen, is there anything greater in life? Is there any other purpose in life? Now, now be real careful. Everybody wants to share with me. Yeah, we're in church on Sunday. Does your action say that? Does your action say there's nothing more important on the planet Earth than the edification of the saints and the conviction of the lost? Okay. Because it is obvious, because I have this letter to the Corinthians, that it is possible for a Christian to get sidetracked and be more worried about self. I mean, that's what this letter is really kind of, kind of doing. Okay? I have several texts I want to give you. These next two texts that I want us to read together. You need to know these two texts. Okay? Alright, you need to know where they are. You need to know what they do. And you need to know what they say. Alright, the first one is just to the left a little bit. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 2 is where we'll start. And I'm going to move around a little bit. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17 is where I'll start. Okay, and then we'll move to the end of... Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, we are not like many, peddling. Literally, the word there means to corrupt. Okay, peddling or corrupting the word of God, but as from sincerity, but from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. All right, now, you... I hate it when they put chapters in places that they don't need chapters. All right? But he puts a chapter break. Somebody did. All right? Do you see what he just said? Do you understand what his theme is? What's important here to the Apostle Paul? The Word of God. What did I just read you out of 1 Corinthians? The Word of God. Preach the Word of God. Here, he says, we do not corrupt. We do not peddle what? The Word of God, all right? Uh, Then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, listen, I want to... He says, it's not that I'm commending myself again. It's not that I'm bragging. Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you, from you? Do, Do we need you to affirm us? And basically what he's saying is, you don't exist had I peddled the God, the Word of God. All right, I brought you the Word of God. I do not need your commendation. Now think about that for a second. I don't need your help. I am doing what I was called to. All right, you are fruit of what I have done in my faithfulness to what God has called me. What is the text that we're looking at in chapter 14? Strengthening of the saints. How? Okay, you, verse 2, are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Being manifest that you are the letter of what? 
Christ. They see Christ in you. All right? So you see that? You see there's a little bit of importance there. It goes through. He gets really good with it. But I want to drop down and cover a little more stuff because he contrasts the law of Moses. Okay, did you hear what I just said? The law of Moses, he contrasts to the new covenant. He contrasts the old covenant to the new covenant. All right? He says in verse 7, if the ministry of death is letters engraved in stone. Okay, what's he referring to there? The Ten Commandments. They were written in stone. Well, see, in, in Galatians, he says the law was given for what reason? To show you're a sinner. All right, that's amazing to me. We don't teach this no more. You need to know you are depraved. You need to know you need to be saved. You need to know that you are awful in the sight of God. Well, I was created in the image of Adam. Okay, you are not created in the image of God. It doesn't say you were created in his image. It says that Adam was created in his image. You were created in the seed of who? Adam. Okay, and let's be realistic. We heard had this discussion. What, had, what if Adam hadn't sinned? I would have. <laughs> and I guarantee you, it wouldn't have got to me. <laughs> Okay, but we really believe that we have the ability to be good. I'm not even that dumb enough to even think when I'm sleeping, I'm good. All right, but I share this with you because he's controlling. He's showing you that the word of God came first and foremost for one reason. You know what that reason is? Convict people of sin. Convict people of sin. All right. Look what he says. Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Did you get that? God is glorified when a person is condemned. God is glorified when a person is saved. I remember reading Albert Barnes talking about withholding the truth from people. And he says, do you understand in God's redemptive plan, he is always glorified? When a person goes to hell... That person glorifies God by their condemnation. When a person goes to heaven, God is glorified by that person's salvation. Both receive, both give the glory to God. So here's what he says. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. All right. The ministry of Moses and the law, the old covenant has glory, but it has been surpassed. It has been eclipsed. Use Paul's vernacular that he uses in the letter to the Romans where sin came through one man. Now righteousness comes through. One man, as Moses preached redemption, Christ gives redemption. Okay, so you can preach redemption, but it's just like, you know, I'm trying to get these people saved. You know what? You can't. You can't get anybody saved. You can long for it. You can desire it. You can weep for it. You can pray for it. You can beg for it. But you know what? God's the only one that does it. All right, please understand that. All right, look what he says. For if that which fades away was with glory. Now watch what he uses here. Much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use what? Great boldness. In our speech, we are now look what he's using here. We are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Now, what is he? What the heck is he talking about? Okay, you know what he's talking about? 
Moses would go into the presence of God. When he went into the presence of God, the Shekinah glory would reflect off of him. And when he walked out of the presence of God, he'd be sitting there glowing. But as he was away from the presence of God, guess what happened? It'd get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. He's saying there's a new glory now. And what does it do? He's just giving the contrast. It not only does it remain, it grows brighter. How? Through the word of the Lord. As the word of the Lord before the new covenant condemned us. The the word of the Lord in the new covenant does what? Redeems and glorifies. Now. Look what he says here. We are not like Moses who put a veil over, do not look intently at the end of which is fading away. But now he's speaking of the Jewish people, but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, see what I just said? By the reading of Moses, the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because, how do you remove the veil? It is removed in Christ. There are not a plethora of ways to get saved. There's one. There's billions and unsearchable numbers of ways to come to Christ. One way to God. That's very bigoted, by the way. Very. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, can you see now he's tying the old covenant and Moses together in his read, what happens? The veil lies over their heart. And now now watch what he does in verse 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, what happened? The veil is removed. Now they're exposed directly to what? The Shekinah of God. When the veil has been... Do you see why I get into trouble and I get frustrated when I tell people I don't think you're saved? Dude, you look like you got a veil on. I don't see nothing there shining. If it's shining, guess what? That's the presence of God's there. Let me tell you something. You should be able to see this. Paul said you could see it. Listen, if you would have known Paul before he left for Damascus and then run to him after Damascus, would you have seen a difference? How about Peter? How about the rest of the disciples? But it only worked for that group? No. Listen, if you do not have a love of the word, you're not saved. Do you understand me? I'm not saying that to hurt your feeling. That I am saying that to remove the veil. God, he says. The veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now now look what he says in verse 18. I want you to read this. You need to know this verse. Who? We all. After I've gone to seminary or Christian college and have received our master's degree in theology. Is that what it says? We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror. What? When you look into the mirror, what do you see? Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now then. What is the church supposed to do? No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Let me be specific about my question. What are you supposed to do when you go to church? That's the better question. Okay, let me give you another text. 
Okay, remember that one right there. All right, but you need to go go to the right a little farther to Colossians. Colossians. Okay, now I want to give you a context. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to start in verse 16 just to kind of to give you an idea. Okay? You got everybody with me there? All right, well, we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And it says this, For by Him... Okay, do you understand that phrase? Okay, what happened? They did not evolve. It was not a big bang. It was not some primordial ooze. It says, by Him all things were created. Now then, just in case you ain't figured it out, what he's going to get out, what all things? That's the word cosmos and on earth. Well, let me give you a little more detail. Visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. You know what that means? He knows who wins this election. Already. He's already got it figured out. All things have been created through him. Oh, what's the next phrase? Do you know that for him does not mean for you? It means for him. What things would be created for him? Visible and invisible. Authorities and dominions. Cosmos. All the universe and the heaven and earth. All of it. Is his. Oh, by the way, he created it. He maintains it. He keeps it from obliterating itself. He maintains all of it. The gravitational field of the moon that they just found around Saturn that has rings. We just figured out. Oh, darn. It can't be working. Venus, Venus is spinning backwards. Venus has been spinning backwards for a long time. You just figured it out. And we act like we're so brilliant. You know there's a DNA link? Really? Did you know that the human cell is a von Neumann machine? And a von Neumann machine is impossible for man to make? Huh. What's a von Neumann machine? Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. I read things that I shouldn't read. All right. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Verse 17. Okay, so I'm thinking that He's got a point here. What do you think? Look at the key. The key is verse 18. Okay, look what He just did to us. He just absolutely ruined our plan. He just compared all of creation and this new entity. What is this new entity? His body. And what is this new entity, the body, the church? He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Did you understand what he just said there? Do you understand the privilege that you have being in a church He who holds existence together has a little club called the church. And you can't afford the dues to the church. But if he wants you, he will draw you into the church and you will be a part of he who exists on the planet earth and the entity of these people that he's called out separated remember from glory to glory all right that is just the introduction to what i wanted to give you verse 28 what did i say about 24 and 25 When we preach, what happens? Lost can get saved and saved get stronger. 
All right? And we all sat and smiled at each other saying, it's Sunday and that's what we're about. Really? Really? Look what he says here. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom that we may what? Do what? What's your job description? Do you know that's my job description right there? That's what God says I'm supposed to do. I like the first part. Admonishing is fun. Teaching is fun. The wisdom of God is fun. I'm supposed to what? Why did they put every man? Why not four? But then in verse 29, it says, For this purpose I labor, striving according to the power that works mightily within me, the Holy Spirit. So that's that, that's that pendulum that we like to swing one way. You, you can be a legalist. I'm trying, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. trying to do this. Or is the Holy Spirit trying to do this? Trying to do this. Yes. You strive. You labor. The word strive there is the word that we get to. It's a veterinary term. It means to tear the muscle on a horse. Okay. That means work at it. Okay. To the point of, ow. I'm hurting. All right. Now, I gave you those because I wanted to show you what I'm. When you go through chapter 14, everybody's wanting to know what tongues is doing and what tongues is not doing and what this prophecy is doing, what prophecy is not doing. And, and I got to can't forget the love thing because that's boy, that there gets you in trouble. And then, you know, on all the rest of it. And I don't want to be ignorant about spiritual gifts and I need this and I need that. All right. But listen, here's what we're missing in verse three, chapter 14, first Corinthians. It says for the edification in chapter four, 14, verse four, it says for the edification for chapter 14, verse five, it says for the edification. Verse 12 says for the edification. Verse 19 says for the edification. Verse 26 says for the edification. I'm seeing a theme here. Okay, now let me ask you a question. How do you edify somebody? In light of what I just gave you. The emphasis of the entire chapter 14 is when the church comes together, again, 11 through 14, it refers to the assembly of the saints. It refers to the Colossians text. We are together proclaiming him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete, mature, lacking nothing, totalis in Christ. All right, he's saying, I want you to do this, and here's what you will do. I was listening to a message just the other day that says that the preacher has got the only job description that has never changed in 2,000 years. Not only is the job description not changed in 2,000 years, the tools of the trade have not changed for 6,000 years. I use tools, plural. Actually, there's just one tool. And when the church comes together, okay, the primary point is that they be edified. When you don't show up to church, what are you saying? I'll let you use your own excuse. The word... Oike demento or oike dere, dime, demento a dime. Okay, it's a compound word in the Greek. Oikos is the word we get house from. Demo uh, or dime or demento is to build. Okay, so the literal word there is to build a house. Okay, or a house builder. All right. To build up. It's translated five times in the New Testament Gospels, and you'll see it, well, not that, in the epistles also. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The word builders there, okay, demento. House builders. 
The stone that the house builders rejected has now become the chief stone. It's a picture of Christ. So in a spiritual sense, all right, now think about this. You really got to stay with me. In a spiritual sense, it means to build up. You're going to start with a foundation and you're going to build a house so that the church has its intention and design is for the building up of the saints. Peter uses this phrasing um, kind of this ideology in chapter one or chapter two, verse five of first Peter. He says, Christ is the chief cornerstone and each one of you is a living stone. But if you read the text, the flow of the text, what does he say? He says, you need to be as newborn babes craving the pure spiritual milk of the Word. Why? So you can be used as a stone. As a stone. To promote spiritual growth. Develop the character of the believer. To bring him to maturity. To teleos. To completeness. The major element of the body of Christ, the major element of the church is that we are together for one reason and one reason only. To edify. You know what? What what about reaching the lost? Listen, evangelism may take place, but it's going to be on the side. The primary focus for the church is one is one focus. Edification is the issue. Beyond that, and I'm sure you're aware of it, it's everybody's responsibility, every individual to be busy about what? Edifying the believers. All right. Some of you are hesitant. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, therefore, encourage one another. Verse 11. Uh, literally, comfort one another. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And what has happened to those who have died in before the second coming of Christ. And comfort one another. And then what does this say? Edify one another, just as you are also doing. Now, if you read this letter, you'll read the first three chapters. He gives nothing but commendations. You guys are amazing. Your faith is so massive that the whole Greek peninsula has heard of it, and it's echoing throughout Christendom. They, had, they were the first radio program. No, I don't even know who their preacher was. I don't know who their, their Sunday school director was, their worship leader was. I don't know any of that, but I do know this. They received the word of God and the power of the spirit. Okay. The task of the people, he says, is to what? You notice what he's, what is missing in that text? There's a fascinating phrase missing in that text. And just that verse. Doesn't say the elder. It doesn't say the pastor. It doesn't say the exhorter. It doesn't say, who does it say? If you're saved, Be comforting and strengthening one another. That's basically what he's saying. Okay, it's not the task of the preacher or the leader. Now listen, it is our task. Let me give you another text. Just in case you think I'm making this up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Okay, this way, the pastor doesn't get off the hook. The elder doesn't get off the hook. Okay, chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets. Some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, 
Okay? For what? Hmm. Leadership and the people are together involved in the building each other up to spiritual maturity. You know, it is your responsibility to edify me. Did you know that? This is our calling. This is our God-given responsibility. This is our divine... You know, have you ever heard somebody say this? I'm trying to find God's will. Where did he hide it? How many of you have struggled with God's will? I'm going to ask you one question. They don't come and ask me no more. I'm struggling for God's will. Terry, what do you think? Are you edifying? No, you'll never find it. You don't have to worry about it. You can't do the basics. You ain't getting nothing else. If I am not edifying, if I am not building up, if I am not taking a foundation or maybe the second floor or the third floor of this structure and building on what God has already done, then I don't have to worry about doing nothing. This is what God seeks as the expression of his will in the church. In the church. And, and you know what? I, I wrote a little footnote here. I, I added this this morning because I was on my mind. It presupposes that we never act selfishly. Okay, because I got news for you. You ain't going to build anybody up if you're selfish. Not any of that, uh, you'll hear the phrase, just sucking the life out of me. Okay? Listen, if you're going to edify somebody, you're never going to be concerned about your own things. You're never going to be concerned about your own successes. You're never going to be concerned about your own glorification. You know what? You're never even going to be concerned about your own edification. Because you want to be the drink offering, poured out, gone, off the flames. Martin Lloyd-Jones stated it this way, quote, We are to be lost in the edifying of each other, unquote. Paul wrote it this way. Romans chapter 15, verse 2. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Then verse 3, he says, in case you're wondering what that means, I'll give you an example. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Okay? Christ did not come to be ministered to. Christ did not come to be served. But he came to give himself as a ransom for many. Christ did not seek that which would be most beneficial to him. But that which would be most beneficial to others. And then he has those terrifying words. Follow me. We have a responsibility before God to edify one another. That's one of the reasons that you see there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, that he points out the, uh, the error of tongues is that they're speaking to themselves. He says, you're not, even, you're not even speaking to men. And he says, you should be. Because verse 4 of chapter 14, he says, you edify self is wrong. He says, you can speak to angels, so what? You need to be speaking to men. 
We are never, ever in Scripture. I just barely touched the surface of this topic. I never are we told to edify self. But we are always commanded to edify others. We are together for the purpose of building each other up. Okay, now I'm going to give you two little things I want you to think about when you, when you think about building up. Uh, first is the right attitude. The right attitude. Chapter 14 of Romans, verse 19 says, So then, let us pursue, pursue the things which make for peace and the edification of one another. That's an amazing... It's, it's, it's like having a spirit... Uh, the right attitude is the spirit. Uh, and it's an attitude. It's a commitment. But you know what's amazing about the phrasing there? He says, pursue this. Think about this for a second. What do we pursue? We who are gathered here today claiming to be the children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What do we pursue? What do we pursue that will build someone else? up well but you know i i have liberty i have right i'm under grace and i'll do this and can seek for you know i mean let's be realistic nobody really seems to be worried about edifying me so i'll spend some time edifying myself okay let me tell you something that violates scripture Okay, so first thing we have to do, if I'm going to be involved in this building up of the church, I mean, you know, we're talking about spiritual gifts and how they're exercised and and what do they look like and their intents and their purposes and where is their importance on the level of everything else. And, And, you know, how do I use this gift? How do I do these things? And you know what? If you don't have the right attitude, when I hear people more concerned about what their gift is instead of exercising, I know the issue. I know the issue. Okay, and you've got to have the right tool. That makes good, good sense. And I'll give you the right tool. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Many of you know this. 3.16. And you can use 17 too. It's still the same sentence. Here's what it says. All Scripture is God-breathed. I mean, that's the literal translation. Okay. And, now did you, you need to see that, that first word? All. You know which one that is, right? When you go reading through such and such begot, such and such begot, such and such begot. Huh. <laughs> that's good for what? <laughs> Stretching your vocabulary. Okay, but I'm just telling you what the book says. It says all scripture. It's inspired by God. But look what it says next. It's profitable. I like that idea. Profitable for teaching. Well, that makes sense. If you're going to teach something, it would be good to teach the word of God. For reproof. Oh, that's the bad side of it. Okay, because sometimes you will. Whoops, I was wrong. When you study the word of God for correction and training in righteousness. Okay. When you see the word training in righteousness, right standing before God, right? Do you see the promise in 17? The man of God may be adequate, equipped for what? Complete. See, the attitude seeks the good of others and the method is the Word of God. If you've got the right attitude that I'm worried about making peace with everybody and strengthening everybody, then you're going to realize quickly you need the Word of God because the Word of God is the only thing I can use to strengthen you for anything. I'll give you a little sidebar. So you see the tool, you see the attitude, but I will give you a little sidebar that um, if you have not learned it, you will. Okay. I call it the degree, a degree of patience. 
Okay. Let God do his work in his own time. Okay. We must be committed to edifying and we must meet together to edify. All right, here's the big question that comes rolling out. What happens to evangelism? I thought we were supposed to reach the lost. Thought you'd never ask. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. How? What did it say? being built up. All right? Look what it says next. And going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what happened? You know what that means? Evangelism. I meet with pastors and have been for about three years now. Uh, every uh, Thursday we get together and pray. And one of the amazing phenomenons that I find existing uh, is um, there is no, um, nobody's getting saved. Okay? And you know what? I know why nobody's getting saved. We're not building each other up. Why would he bring us more? If the body of Christ is not edifying itself, why in the world would God say, hey, try this one? If you can't with the people that God has already graced you with, why would I bring you more? Do you see that? The church was increasing. Why? They were edifying one another. And when they were edifying one another, that spills out into the community. And the community says, I want that. And you're doing it. How do you edify? Through the word of the Lord. Go back to our text in chapter 14. When you preach the word and the lost come in or the ungifted is there, what happens? They fall on their face before God. It will not happen, brothers and sisters, until you and I make an absolute conscious commitment for the strengthening of one another. Ain't happening. I have been in this church for 20 years. And when we reach lost people, it's because everybody in the church is involved with the strengthening of everyone else. And when we stop reaching lost people, it's because we get selfish or we get our feelings hurt or I didn't get my glory or nobody gave me an attaboy and I'm not going to do it. And you know what? The lost say, you look just like me. What do you have that I would want? That's 1 Corinthians, brothers and sisters. He says, God's going to remove the lampstands and you ain't going to have anything in Corinth if you don't get this selfishness out of the way. We must meet together to be edified. We must meet together to teach and be taught the Word of God. We must meet together to be exposed to God's truth in the way that will cause us to grow to maturity and unity that God has already given. When the church is built up, it will reach out. And evangelism will be the byproduct of strong Christians. Strong Christians. 
You look at your text and you understand that when we look at the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, its importance is secondary at best. It has no ability to edify. The gift of interpretations edifies, but the gift of languages does not edify. We've seen its intent. It was an intent to a people that God's wrath was upon the nation of Israel. Now we're looking at the instruction. And the instruction is easy. As long as you don't lose this mindset, it is for the edification of the saints. Your spiritual gift is not for you. Your spiritual gift is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that those who needed to hear heard, those who needed to see, see, and that, Father, uh, in this day and this age where self is promoted, that we understand that you left heaven, hung on a cross for us. No greater love than to lay one's life down for his brothers. Father, may we, may we lay our lives down for you, King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, Father, even if it is a cross, may we take whatever time you've given us and redeem that time that, Father, we may walk your glory and exaltation of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.